Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the third season of the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, we have part two of my conversation with Rob Winstead and Maria Beninsky from VMDO, a 45-year-old architecture firm headquartered in Charlottesville, Virginia. Rob is principal and K-12 studio leader for VMDO, and Maria, an associate architect. VMDO has built a long track record of leading-edge design in learning spaces, K-12 schools, higher education institutions, and community recreational buildings. The firm stands out in its use of research science to create learning spaces that are attuned to the learning and development of students. Physical space can be an especially powerful influencer of educational engagement and performance, as well as positive development for young adolescents in the middle grades. Air quality, access to daylight and views, appropriate acoustic environments where that aren't, you know, you're not hearing HVAC noise, you're not hearing buzzing lights, you know, there's enough absorptive material in the classroom, really impact people's ability to learn and to function cognitively. And and these are things that are talked about a lot in the design of, you know, class A office space. Employers, you know, are eating this up, return on investment, fewer sick days. Um, but these are not things that many school districts have learned to demand of their buildings. And who is in there, you know, in middle school, like we've discussed today, people who are at some of their most sensitive development and, you know, shouldn't that be the top priority for who gets this kind of healthy um, environment? Here in part two of our conversation, Rob, Maria, and I talk about how VMDO works in partnership with educators, students, and communities to design learning spaces, what financial resources are required for these projects, and how to think about managing those costs over time, and how VMDO engages in research collaborations to contribute to the overall knowledge base in this area overlapping architecture and education. Previously in part one of our conversation, we talked about the beginnings of VMDO, the firm's approach to designing physical space to support the learning and development as well as the health and wellness of youth and young adolescents in particular, using developmental science and extensive stakeholder engagement as foundational guides. Part one is now available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here is part two of my conversation with Rob Winstead and Maria Benitsky. Well, you have a long list of K-12 clients, largely, as you mentioned, in the Mid-Atlantic region, but elsewhere as well. I'm curious to know how the work we've been talking about here, which again, I think is really highly aligned to adolescent development, particularly, uh, I love the, the the notions of just the, the variety and variability, you know, the, the getting away from schools that have that kind of rigidity and that sameness, um, which runs counter, I think, to the, the, the notion of ex- exploration and, and self-discovery. And so I, I could see how it's, the, that kind of thing is very appealing to educators just talk to me about how that process works. Like if I'm if I'm bought in, if I'm a if I'm a superintendent or a principal of a school, or even a, a, an educator, a teacher, a counselor, a social worker, what does working with a VMDO look like? I would say, unfortunately, 
typically there's not enough engagement with communities, with uh, staff and educators, uh, and in particular with students. Um, that's actually pretty rare. Uh, the people that are most often making these decisions are, you know, board of supervisors and city councilors who, who are elected officials who, who fund these projects. But I will say, on the other hand, uh, VMDO tries as hard as we can to make the design and construction process as inclusive uh, and as broad as possible. And so, you know, we often start the process by really, in those first conversations, what are, what are the needs of your community? What level of engagement do you actually want? Uh, but I, I personally think the programming phase is when a lot of the magic happens. The planning and programming phase is when a lot of the innovation and potential of the project is unlocked. And you can have these broad conversations about how does the environment interact with the other elements of the learning experience? You know, how are you using time? What is the curriculum? You know, how, what are you teaching and how are you teaching it? How are you staffing uh, your buildings? What, how are you leveraging technology? Are you a one-to-one -one school, you know, et cetera? You know, we, we influence the environment, but the decisions we make in the environment is, is influenced and affects all of those other factors. Ideally, the best environments are the ones where those things are aligned and working uh, as a kind of ecosystem we all we all have a sort of a job to do in this world and, and and teachers you know know what they have to do and have to accomplish so i imagine someone with your expertise coming in can kind of enlighten them to to showcase what physical space can do to improve their sort of own own practice absolutely i think sharing high quality precedent projects and really, ideally, visiting them actually can be really transformative in terms of trying to imagine what's possible because, right, we're all working out of our set of a kind of reference. Um, you know, what do we know? What have we seen? And breaking out of that or, you know, widening that can be extremely powerful, especially when I think educators and leaders in education get to talk to people at other um, institutions, other schools, where it's like, oh, wow, you really are making this work in a very different way. It's a significant investment, so you don't want to roll the dice and you know try something kind of wild, and then it, it doesn't work out. Um, so there's a lot of responsibility, but there's also the potential to really miss an opportunity if you just repeat what you've been doing in the past. And I really believe that for educational leaders who are going to take part of a, in a process like this, you don't need to learn to be an architect. You don't, you don't need to learn all about architecture. You are bringing an incredible asset if you have a clear educational vision and you share that with the architect and you insist on the best for your young people. Maria, you mentioned, you know, it, this, this, this is an investment. This it takes a lot of resources to do, specifically to do it well. And, and again, if I'm a, a school or district leader or a school board member, as you mentioned, Rob makes a lot of these decisions, you know, I'm probably familiar with the ways the capital projects are paid for, you know, whether it's levying taxes or borrowing or sometimes government grants. But w what's your approach with your K-12 clients on the, on the financial resources side of, of your engagements? These are big numbers, and, and typically, you know, school budgets are very often the largest portion of a municipal budget. So we, we recognize how significant these investments are for communities, and we take very seriously the, our role as stewards of those, of those dollars. But I do, I do want to blow up the myth that our buildings cost more, uh, because it's just not true. 
the real investment here from a community is, is uh, time and focus and commitment to, to doing the best for uh, future generations in their community. The schools that we design don't cost any more uh, than typical schools uh, that are built. Uh, it's really about creative problem solving and really making sure that we're focusing those dollars on the places where they're really gonna matter. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we're well known for uh, the design of net zero energy buildings, buildings that produce as much energy on an annual basis as they use. And everybody's like, how can you possibly afford that? Doesn't that cost just a bazillion dollars? Well, they don't. They don't cost more than, than the other schools that they're designing. However, they do minimize the operational costs of those buildings for their entire life. And so we've got buildings that are returning or cost avoidance basically by, by not paying utility bills over $100,000 a year uh, for a single school. So it's really a matter of focus and saying, you know, these are the goals that we have. And like Maria said, really holding the community, the design team, everybody involved, you know, accountable to those, to those goals. Yeah, and they're cumulative, right? You talked before about young people when their 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 favorite experience were these were these spaces in in early in early schooling where they're sort of open and and more sort of experiential. And if they're put in these sort of rigid rigid domains that is that runs counter to their developmental state, um, you know, they, these these are consequential. You know, they they sort of remember these and they have a sort of an, an effect on on people as they as they grow and develop. Marie, you talked before about you referenced a number of uh, research studies and and uh, the, sort of the academic piece of this. You know, one of the things I've really loved and appreciate about the work that you do is how you're how you're contributing to the knowledge base through research collaborations. Is it, it sounds as if you were really intent, just as a firm, on helping influencers and decision makers better understand through research and data how design can be a lever for effective education and positive youth development. T tell us about that side of, of your work. I, I don't know enough about architecture firms to know whether that is unique or not, but it certainly adds a, an important dimension. I, I would say it's not something that's at all built into the typical architectural process or practice. You know, I think we, we work hard and are really, you know, trying to go the extra mile to make it happen. But there, this is a huge potential growth area, I think, for our industry as a whole. Um, you know, we work um, with the Center for the Built Environment um, to do what we call post-occupancy evaluations. Um, so the Center for the Built Environment is a, is a national organization um, that is trying to, you know, be one of those resources that allows architecture firms to gather information after their building is complete and is occupied how how it's doing, how it's affecting the occupants, you know, is it really supporting the life um, that it was designed to support? They have, you know, modules of questions that are deployed nationwide by any architecture firm that partners with them. But then we also have designed our own module of questions that's specific to, you know, issues of of teaching and learning um, that we're interested in because their their surveys are used on, you know, all types of buildings. Uh, I am incredibly proud of that work. Every major project that BMDO designs goes through a post-occupancy evaluation. And then we take the results from that and we actually, you know, create a feedback loop back into our design process, right? What are the responses that we're getting? What can we learn from that? How do we change our design and our thinking? 
And we actually go back to, to our clients and say like, hey, here's what we learned. We actually learned you've got a cleanliness and maintenance problem in your building, or you've got a thermal comfort problem in your building, right? We can help you with that and it'll improve outcomes in, in your building. And then currently right now, we are trying to uh, create a, a stronger relationship uh, with the School of Education at UVA and with Youth Next in particular to focus on middle schools. And uh, we're designing the Buford Middle School project uh, in Charlottesville. And we're trying to work with, uh, with researchers, uh, not only to influence that design as it's underway, but also to do pre and post occupancy studies uh, of the current building and then of the future building to learn, you know, have the improvements that we've made in that facility really uh, significantly influenced outcomes in that environment. Important work that we do related to research is, is educating our clients about building science research that has happened, you know, in the past 10, 20 years. And, and the real, you know, we've touched on this before, but the incredible um, impact that f air quality, access to daylight and views, appropriate acoustic environments where that aren't, you know, you're not hearing HVAC noise, you're not hearing buzzing lights, you know, there's enough as absorptive material in the classroom, really impact people's ability to learn and to function cognitively. And and these are things that are talked about a lot in the design of, you know, class A office space. Employers, you know, are eating this up, return on investment, fewer sick days. Um, but these are not things that many school districts have learned to demand of their buildings. And who is in there? You know, in middle school, like we've discussed today, people who are at some of their most sensitive development and, you know, shouldn't that be the top priority for who gets this kind of healthy um, environment? And, and it also supports things we've talked about in terms of community and connectedness because teachers do care about these things. And we saw a study in D.C. and Chicago, I think, that showed that facility quality was affecting the attraction, support, and retention of educators. And so, you know, having a community where people want to stick around and they feel good showing up each day, the building really does impact that. Finally, Rob and Maria, what's one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation based on your work designing spaces that are attuned to the developmental needs of students, things you'd like educators both in school and in after school and summer programs to know or be able to do? The spaces where you learn uh, really do matter. And I know that we all know this intuitively in our own lives, you know, as we set up our workspace or work with our own children, <laughs> for example. We all, we all know this intuitively, but it seems like when we when we get into these big complex projects uh, where there's a lot of stress and tension around the magnitude of the investment and um, you know, there's a lot of people involved, a lot of voices involved, we tend to lose sight of that. And I think educational leaders, a huge part of uh, what they can bring to the process is to maintain that focus on students and on learners, on their staff, on the quality of the environment and that the space really does matter. The other thing I'd say is that engagement really does matter, that making the process as broad and as inclusive as possible, it doesn't have to take years and years and, and millions of dollars. Um, I think it can be a very focused and intentional, uh, thoughtful uh, process, uh, but don't skip that process. 
because I think that giving people the opportunity to, to weigh in before you're asking them to buy in, especially if you're doing something new. If you ask most educators, you know, if you could have any education environment you want, they'd say pretty much what I've got, but more storage and outlets. Um, right. And so there's the, there's a process where they have to visit these other environments and talk to other educators and imagine what could be, you know, 30 years in the future within the lifetime of the investment that you're making. So don't, don't skip that process. I think that engagement uh, really matters and making it as inclusive as possible. And then of course, I think there's, you know, we need to do something about the environments that we've got. I think we keep reinforcing, you know, 50 year old ideas about education, um, you know, kind of factory model of education because a lot of the people that are making decisions about that, you know, that's their experience. That's their understanding or image of school. Uh, but the world has, has moved on and just, just the, the hybrid learning, distance learning that we've experienced during our COVID response just shows how dramatically learning uh, has changed, right? And, and really working as, as community, as a society uh, to figure that out and to continue to do what's best for uh, future generations, I think is, is critical. And it doesn't have to cost more. Creativity, <laughs> creativity doesn't cost more. Um, I think it could be the same investment uh, leveraged in a different way. I think a lot of it is reiterating, you know, what Rob has said about that this is really worth doing. Um, you know, the science is there about cognitive function and, and outcomes. Um, you know, it can grow, but there's we know that it's important enough that people should be bold in advocating for their students and their children and their communities to to have facilities that you know aren't holding back the people inside of them. We've talked a bit about money. There's a huge annual investment by communities everywhere in our country for the operational uh, expenses of schools and communities are investing in bringing people together for a purpose. You know, every day. Uh, and it, it doesn't make sense to, to bring them together into a space that then holds them back. Rob, Maria, this has been fun. You know, we've, covered, we've covered some new ground here on, on the podcast. You know, we try to look at many different aspects of learning and development for young adolescents. So your expertise and your experience in the physical environments that we place our young people in is, is, is a compelling angle for us to explore. And, and, I, and I hope we can do it more. So, so thanks so much for all your work in the education space and for coming on to, to share it with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. Look forward to continuing the conversation. That was Rob Winstead and Maria Beninsky from VMDO. You can learn more about VMDO online at vmdo.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at VMDO Architects. Remember, you can look out for part one of my conversation with Rob and Maria, which is out now, on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, I interviewed Ron Berger, longtime educator and program developer, and now senior advisor teaching and learning for EL Education. Beginning more than 30 years ago, EL Education was born out of the outward-bound model of experiential learning that centers around young people and adults building strong bonds with each other and exploring and influencing the world together rather than alone, an approach to education that has particular resonance for young adolescents. 
In Outward Bound, there's a phrase that came from the founder of Outward Bound, Kurt Hahn, which is we are crew, not passengers. Like we're in this together, strengthened by acts of consequential service to others. And so it's about being a team. It's about that team approach. So the structure we use for the middle grades is students meet with their crew, which is a small group. It's not a full homeroom of 26 kids. It's, it's a group of 10 to 15 kids that meet every day in a small group and talk about their social and emotional health, talk about their families, talk about their lives, talk about how they're doing. They also talk honestly about how they're doing academically. Am I failing mathematics? Am I failing science? Like what's going on? And they hold each other accountable. It's a place where you can actually be honest about how you're doing personally, but also how you're doing academically. We don't separate those two. You can listen to both parts of my conversation with Ron wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. Editing by Paige Waterhouse. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>